This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with Enosh to Enoch, Methuselah to Noah, corruption increasing, God speaks to Noah, and God's covenant with Noah foretold. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn for all the saints. This coming Sunday, All Saints Sunday, we hear the gospel reading from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where the saints are described by the one who makes them holy, himself, Jesus, our Savior. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Friday afternoon, November the 3rd. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Peter Bender will help us look forward to All Saints Sunday. We'll spend some time in our Paths to Lutheranism series talking with Parisi Karami, a former Muslim and a native of Iran, about her path to Lutheranism from Islam, then from Judaism with Sahar Sedlovsky, a former adherent to Judaism, and he's studying for the ministry in Scandinavia, a program of Concordia Theological Seminary. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome. Good to be with you, Todd. Give us a history of this particular festival, All Saints Day. Sure. Let's start with the title itself, All Saints. The apostrophe goes after the S, not in front of it. So saints, plural, all saints, the day for all of the saints. Yeah, the origins of the festival stretch back to an early festival in honor of all martyrs that began in Syria around AD 360. So that's pretty old, that's fourth century stuff. But that somewhat local festival celebrated the martyrs who remained faithful to Christ and did not deny Jesus in the face of persecution. And if we think about those first three centuries of the church, there was a lot of persecution before the legalization of Christianity in the empire. So that festival celebrated the martyrs who remained faithful and did not deny Christ in the face of that kind of persecution. Boniface IV in AD 610 rededicated the Pantheon in Rome as a Christian basilica in honor of Mary and the martyrs who had been persecuted and put to death throughout those centuries leading up to Constantine's legalization of Christianity. That pantheon had previously served pagan deities to the seven planets, but was repurposed as a memorial to the saints who had been martyred. So the remains of many Christian martyrs were moved from the catacombs to this basilica. This was a kind of fitting memorial, I would say, of 
one considers how many Christians in the first three centuries met their end at the hands of Roman persecutors. Now, November 1st finally came into play. It was initially appointed by Pope Gregory IV in 835 as a commemoration of both confessors and martyrs. And then Gregory VII later transferred the anniversary of the dedication of that pantheon also to November 1st. And so confirming the title then on November 1st as All Saints rather than simply All Martyrs. I should comment, Todd, that there is a festival in the Roman Church called All Souls Day. That's not the same thing. All Souls Day began in Cluny at the end of the 10th century and was recognized by Rome in the 14th century. This was the medieval feast that recognized souls in purgatory who were not yet saints. And of course, that idea of saints was you had to merit sainthood. And obviously, the Lutherans could not observe this festival because of the false teaching of purgatory and the false teaching that people become saints by their own efforts and satisfactions. But All Saints Day, you know, Gregory VII, November 1st, confirmed that title, All Saints. It emphasizes both the martyrs who have gone before us and all those who have died in the Lord. So All Saints Day is properly observed under these general themes. All saints are forgiven sinners. That's what a saint is. And I think there's, even among our people, there's the idea that if you're called a saint, then you, by your own strength, must have accomplished something really fantastic. So sometimes as people are leaving church on a Sunday morning, I will greet them, ah, Saint, Saint Todd, ah, Saint Jeffrey. You know, I will say their name and I'll put saint in front of it. And Oh, don't say that of me. No, you are a forgiven sinner. You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that's what saints are. So All Saints Day celebrates the righteousness of Christ, our justification. And so All Saints Day, November 1st, becomes a fitting continuation of, if you will, and celebration of the Reformation that immediately preceded it. The good works of all the saints the good works of all of the holy martyrs, are those fruits of the gospel that have been produced by God's grace in the lives of those who have gone before us. So it is not improper to cite the works of the saints. We look at those as fruits of faith. We look at those great works as those things which God did in and through them. So it's very important to emphasize that we're celebrating God's act of justifying sinners and then God's good works in the lives of all of the saints that bear witness to the sufficiency of God's grace. Perseverance under persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus is an important emphasis. It's not just general suffering that a human being might go through, but particularly the perseverance under persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus. The certainty of eternal life and the promises of the resurrection with Christ is the ultimate comfort for all the saints, for every Christian. So the saints that have gone on before us, and this is true of the biblical saints, the canonical saints, if you will, in that sense, it's also true of how each one of us have known those faithful Christians who have died in the Lord. 
And so all of these become examples and encouragements for us of the faithfulness of the Lord's grace to sustain us as it sustained them. Since God accomplished all this by his grace in the lives of all the saints, he will keep and preserve me and you in the face of persecution and suffering until you and I are called from this veil of tears, this time of great tribulation. So finally, important emphasis of this day is the mystical union of Christ with his bride, the church, with all of the baptized faithful. All that Christ is and all that Christ has done for us, we receive and we share in, even as he has taken from us all our sin and death and declared us righteous. The Apostle Peter speaks of becoming partakers of the divine nature. It is not that we are deified, but we absolutely share in the divine love and the divine life that is Christ. All that he is, he freely gives to us, and all that we are, he has taken upon himself in his death upon the cross. All Saints Day, November 1st, appears in the church year in the last month of the year, and it's a kind of summary festival for all the saints, if you will. It appears at the end of the church year after all of the other minor saints' days have been celebrated. You know, the first Sunday in Advent is marked by what is the first saints' day to be celebrated, which is St. Andrew's Day. The closest Sunday to that is the first Sunday in Advent. So All Saints' Day comes all the way at the end of the church year after all of those other saints have been celebrated. Some Lutheran congregations, and we do this in our congregation, choose to remember the faithful departed on All Saints Day, those Christians from the congregation who have died in the faith over the past year since the previous All Saints Day. And we will read their names and we will recite the day of their death. So we start way back in the first death and the first Christian funeral in the congregation that occurred after the previous All Saints Day, and we chronicle all of those blessed saints down to the present. And a lot of our members look forward to that, and I will do in a Christian funeral, cite the same kinds of things that I do on All Saints Day in terms of highlighting what God did in the lives of these saints who have gone on before us. And it becomes an occasion for thanksgiving for the power of God's grace and how God's grace sustained us in suffering, particularly that suffering that we are experiencing as Christians for the name of Jesus. The intro for this coming Sunday, Psalm 31 and Revelation 7. The Antiphon begins with Revelation 7. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then the words of the psalm verses. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. In the use of that antiphon from Revelation, John sees a picture of the company of Christians, the saints, 
that have come out of the great tribulation, he calls it. What is the great tribulation? This is not millennial theology in the slightest. The great tribulation, you can imagine the first three centuries of the church, as I mentioned before, in those waning years of the Roman Empire. Deny your faith in Christ or we will kill you, or the members of your family will be sacrificed, or we will torture you, or you will be imprisoned. We will send you into the arena for the games. I mean, that is horrific tribulation. Such persecution for one's faith in Christ was not only in the first three centuries of the church's existence, but it continued in every nation under heaven across the globe. It has occurred in many forms. And this is the great tribulation. Every way in which faith in Christ was assaulted and threatened. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Christ's blood is what cleanses all the saints from their sin. Their robes are white without the slightest stain or blemish of sin because they have been forgiven. They are the baptized children of God. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is this forgiving grace of the Lord Jesus who died for them as the sacrifice for all their sin, who is the very Lamb of God, it is that forgiving grace that has given them the strength then to endure. It's by that robe of Christ's righteousness that they're bold to stand before God on the last day. And it is by the strength of that forgiving grace that they remain steadfast in the faith of persecution. So the intro then continues, that's the antiphon, you know, with the verses from Psalm 31 that are essentially a confession of faith for those who have gone on before us. And for us, in our struggle against persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame by my persecutors and slanderers. In your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, deliver me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and you guide me. So Psalm 31 there picks up the mighty fortress theme that we had on Reformation. And then finally, into your hand I commit my spirit. It reminds us of what Jesus prayed from the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. It is our prayer and persecution because we are joined to him who in his persecution and martyrdom commended himself to the grace of his Father. And we pray you have redeemed me, O faithful God, as the Father delivered Jesus on account of his faithful sacrifice upon the cross on our behalf, so he has redeemed us by the blood of his Son, and has remained faithful to us and every promise he has made to us on account of Christ's redeeming work. I mean, the intro for this Sunday, by using that Revelation passage and then segueing into the verses from Psalm 31, really captures the essence of the theme in all of the propers for the day. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc., We're looking forward to All Saints Sunday with Pastor Peter Bender, Pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and Director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. He's also a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The Collect for All Saints Sunday is next.
This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You're listening to Issues Etc. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to All Saints Sunday on this Friday, November the 3rd. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Peter, what is the collect for All Saints Day and what would you say about it? Almighty and everlasting God, you knit together your faithful people of all times and places into one holy communion, the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that together with them we may come to the unspeakable joys you have prepared for those who love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Here again, we have the mystical union theme then that I mentioned in the introduction. It's the basis for this collect. What is this mystical union? It is that all Christians, Christ's holy bride, are joined to him in a blessed communion so that all that he is and has done for us, we receive and fully share in and that he has taken from us all our sin, suffering, and death, which he fully shared in for our salvation in the incarnation and in his suffering and death upon the cross. He made it his own. One of the hymns of Holy Communion links this concept of the mystical union with what Luther called the blessed exchange. Mine is the sin, but thine the righteousness. Mine is the guilt, but thine the cleansing blood. Here is my robe, my refuge, and my peace, thy blood, thy righteousness, O Lord my God. That's LSB 631. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. What a great stanza that to capture the mystical union, this blessed exchange, and what it is to be a saint without the slightest blemish, because Christ is my righteousness. So the language of the collect is beautiful. You knit together 
your faithful people of all times and places into one holy communion, the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ. That holy communion, this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you. Where there's forgiveness, there's life and there's salvation. So that we are united with him means that his saints, the baptized faithful, will indeed suffer persecution, even as Jesus suffered persecution. And when we suffer persecution for Jesus' sake, it is a sign and a testimony that we belong to him, whose very persecution and martyrdom resulted in our salvation and eternal life with God. So since we are united to him as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, we will suffer even as he did, not, of course, to merit our salvation, but as a testimony that we belong to him whose suffering and death procured our salvation. So the saints who have gone on before us are examples then of the power and efficacy of God's grace to sustain us in persecution and suffering until we are translated to the unspeakable joys the Lord has prepared for us. So then the petition, grant us so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that together with them we may come to the unspeakable joys you have prepared for those who love you. Who did the blessed saints follow? They followed Christ to suffering and death and through such suffering and death onto the resurrection of the body and eternal glory with Christ. The first reading is Revelation 7. The option is to read from verse 2 or to begin at 9. Yeah, the optional verses 2 through 8 talk about the 144,000, and I think most congregations begin at verse 9 that have this intense vision of the victory that the saints have received in the Great Tribulation. If you use the earlier verses, one can think about the blessed and perfect number of the Old Testament church and the New Testament church, the 144,000 that have been sealed by the blood of Christ and who have his name upon their foreheads. Verse 9 begins this way. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite hymns is Behold a Host Arrayed in White, the Scandinavian Lutheran hymn that is based upon Revelation 7 and what John saw. Behold a host arrayed in white, like thousand snow-clad mountains bright. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes. They've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's so many powerfully comforting, great hymns that can be employed on All Saints Day. And it's difficult for us to choose which one. So we often have a lot of hymns. And when it comes to the distribution, regardless of the number of communicants, the distribution hymns that capture the themes for the day as we are partaking of the Holy Communion and we're thinking about not only angels and archangels as we go to the Lord's Supper who are singing Holy, 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 but we're also remembering the cloud of witnesses, those saints who have gone on before us. I like to say we are no closer to our relatives who have died in the Lord in this life than we are at the Lord's table. And so we sing all of those hymns during the distribution. And even if the distribution has concluded and the last communicant has partaken of the Lord's body and blood, we finish out those hymns because they're chosen for a purpose. And they preach and proclaim what we need to know about Christ. And they're so very comforting. In this revelation, this first reading, the vision of revelation serves as the context once again for the antiphon in the introit for the day. So these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here we've got the full text of Revelation 7, where that introit antiphon came from. This Revelation text highlights faithful endurance through persecution. You know, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. And it highlights the song of the faithful, which is both their song and a confession of faith, isn't it? Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. What are they singing? What are they confessing? Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There's no pity party among the saints. It was their joyous privilege to partake of the Lord's sufferings in this life because they knew that they belonged to Jesus who by his suffering won their salvation. So all glory to him. That's what a confession of faith does. That's what the best songs of the faith do. It gives all glory to Christ. It is the song of the faithful. This text highlights above all things the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers the sins of the saints. And it gives a comforting description of the eternal comfort and joy that awaits us in the life to come. Our words of explanation fall short of the beauty of the biblical prose. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, you can't do a better job than the Bible itself in the beauty and the comforting prose of this text. And another word about it, though, I will say is that it echoes so well what you find throughout the Old and New Testament, the idea that the Lord is our shepherd on the one hand, and that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on the other. He's both the shepherd and the Lamb. What a wonderful image of how all glory belongs to the Lord for the salvation that we enjoy from him and that he so freely gives to us. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to All Saints Sunday. The gradual for that Sunday and the psalm are next. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. In the mid-19th century, German immigrants boarded ships to cross the Atlantic Ocean for a new land called America. Opportunity, unknown challenges, and preserving their Lutheran heritage awaited them after their months-long journey. Learn more about the humble beginnings of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the latest issue of Interest Time. Visit interesttime.org to request your free copy. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. This insistence on male and female bearing together the likeness of God is the biblical antidote to pagan androgyny. Paganism always tries to erase the male-female distinction and replace it with something less related to the body, something more spiritual. Thus, our modern world with its trans movement is really just a reversion to paganism. The problem with it is that's not the way humanity was ever created to be. It's at war with reality itself, and thus it's doomed to disappoint and destroy. 
That's an excerpt from today's episode of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. Pastor Whedon began a study today on the book of Genesis chapters 5 through 11. You can listen to this daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. We're looking forward to All Saints Sunday. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Pastor Bender, The Gradual and the Psalm. The gradual wonder of wonders, it's from Revelation 7, verse 14, and then Psalm 84. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. So here, we've just heard the first reading from Revelation 7. Earlier, we prayed the intro from Revelation 7. Now the gradual has Revelation 7. This is an important emphasis. The gradual reinforces the day's theme and really causes us to meditate upon that word of God that appeared as the antiphon in the intro and then as part of the first reading from Revelation. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. All is well. They're saints. They're with the Lord. They're on the throne of the Lamb. He is their shepherd. They're in his presence. And we're given opportunity again and again to return to that theme. The verse, however, of the gradual goes on to Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That last phrase is an interesting verse. Whose heart are the highways to Zion. What does it mean? It is as if the psalmist were saying, the hearts of the faithful yearn for Zion, yearn for heaven, yearn for the resurrection, yearn for eternal life, to be with Christ in the heavenly Jerusalem, to be delivered from all of the suffering of this life and to be with him. As the Old Testament prophet Job would say, how my heart yearns within me. So whose heart are the highways to Zion. That's the direction. You know, we're, we're following Jesus to Zion, to the mountain of the Lord, to the eternal joys of eternal life with him. There's also Psalm 149 as an option. Verse 4 serves as the antiphon. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. This is the second to last psalm in the Psalter. It's one of the hallelujah psalms, and I I am disappointed that so many of the modern English translations replace the hallelujah with praise the Lord. But, I mean, that's what hallelujah means, but I love the hallelujah, sing to the Lord a new song. It's 
not a bad thing to use those biblical words sometimes. So it's one of the hallelujah psalms, and it's an eschatological psalm, you know, let the godly exalt in glory, let the high praises of God be in their throats and a two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance, to bind their kings, and so forth. So it looks forward to the eschaton, to the return of Christ in glory, coming again where he will right all of the wrongs at last. And the certainty of that is why the church now sings hallelujah, this new song. So it invites the church on earth to join with the church triumphant in this victory song that is ours in Christ. He will vindicate his saints and he will right all the wrongs at the last hallelujah. The epistle is the first three verses of 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. There's nothing wrong with the ESV translation. I do miss how it begins in the King James. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we're called in our baptism isn't it? We are called the children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It does not know his love as we have come to know his love. And although this truth that we are the children of God is valid now, yet we often don't appear to ourselves or to the world to be the children of God in the slightest. But that's what the word of the gospel in our baptism, declares us to be. And the hope of the Christian is, as John reminds us, that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So here, the mystical union that we have spoken of, our communion with Christ, we share fully in the glory of his resurrection. It will be realized when we see him face to face, Hope in the resurrection to eternal life with Christ is what preserves us until that day. As Paul would say in Romans, the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And that's what John extols upon us now. We rest upon this confidence. We are the children of God. And when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to All Saints Sunday. The Alleluia verse is up next, and the great cloud of witnesses. Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. 
the Reformer, $100 monthly or an annual gift of $1,000, and the Patron, $200 monthly or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the Support Donate page at IssuesETC.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas will host an information session on Wednesday morning, November the 15th. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through high school. The information session will include a campus tour and a presentation from the school headmaster and more. Visit flsplano.org for more information. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. We're looking forward to All Saints Sunday. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. Pastor Bender, the Alleluia verse is from Hebrews 12, a portion of verses 1 and 2. Yeah, a great New Testament text for the Alleluia verse, because it comes from Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, that immediately follow chapter 11, this magnificent chapter that chronicled all of the faithful who have gone before us in Old Testament times. So it says, Alleluia, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Alleluia. So this passage from Hebrews that follows the litany of all the saints throughout biblical history, who by faith in Christ overcame horrendous persecution and suffering, and yet remained faithful. These are held up then as examples and encouragements of comfort for us. Witnesses or saints who in the language of Hebrews 11, through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, that set of verses from Hebrews 11 that I just read is not only the background for Hebrews 12, the verse of the day, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, but it really describes in concrete language this great tribulation that all of the saints down through the ages have suffered. And who was the object of their faith? Christ. Now, very simply, Christ is the object of Christians' faith. Christ is the object of the faint of every saint. Not a single one of them congratulated themselves or patted themselves on the back. Therefore, let us look to Jesus, the author, founder, finisher, and perfecter of our faith. And that sets up this beautiful gospel for the day. And I use the word beautiful intentionally because, of course, it's the Beatitudes. In Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. The Beatitudes, we talk about a beatific vision, which is a beautiful vision. The Beatitudes are a beautiful vision or description of Jesus. And they are a beautiful description of what we share in as Christians through faith in Christ and in our union with him. The word blessed, blessed is the language of grace and not of human merit. We are blessed, according to each beatitude, precisely because we are joined to Christ and precisely because we share in Christ's blessedness as we experience and endure the things that he endured for us. So you take each of the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus emptied himself entirely, became poor in spirit for us. When we're called to faith in him as Christians, part of repentance is the acknowledgement of the poverty of our own spirit. 
And so each beatitude is like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It first describes Christ, and then it describes us. And then we could ask ourselves the question for each beatitude, why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. You think about Jesus who mourned over Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you to myself as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. He mourns for her. As Christians, we who are joined to Christ, we mourn over our sin and over the impenitence and the sin of the world. We mourn in contrition and repentance because we are joined to Christ our Savior. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted, and we are comforted by the Lord's forgiving grace. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is the consummate meek one. He lays aside all of his divine glory, majesty, power. He does only that which the Father has given him to do. There is no arrogance or pride in the slightest. He shares that with us. It is the characteristic of faith that gives all glory and honor to Jesus. Blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus went to the cross hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of his Father to cover our sins with the sacrifice and payment that he made with his own blood. And we who belong to him hunger and thirst for that selfsame righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Now these next four beatitudes that conclude them describe the nature of Jesus. He is merciful. He is pure in heart. He is the consummate peacemaker and the one who is persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he shares that with us. In Jesus we are merciful and for Jesus' sake, cleansed of our sin, clothed with the right robe of Christ's righteousness, we are pure in heart. And because of his forgiveness, we are the peacemakers. And we share in his persecution. And as such, it is a testimony that we belong to him. So blessed are the merciful. Why? They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we really see in the Beatitudes this blessed exchange and this mystical union with Christ. And as such, it becomes of great comfort and a description of Jesus as well as his body, the church. It's quite lovely. The Beatitudes end with the call to the church militant to rejoice in the face of persecution. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You wanted to say something about the hymn of the day for all the saints? 
what a lovely hymn this is because it's an English hymn and it is written in what we might call a ballad form where each stanza links together for all the saints who from their labors rest who thee by faith before the world confess thy name O Jesus be forever blessed alleluia stanza two thou wast their rock stanza three O may thy soldiers faithful true and bold fight as the saints who nobly fought of old but then stanza four that I really want us to hear because it focuses on this lovely mystical union with Christ. O blessed communion, fellowship divine, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, for all are thine. So I would encourage everyone to learn by heart every stanza of For All the Saints, and it's great English poetry, and it's actually easy to learn by heart but especially stanza four. We feebly struggle, they in glory shine, yet all are one in thee, the Lord Jesus, for all are thine. You also wanted to direct our attention to the proper preface for this day. The proper prefaces are often neglected, and as I've argued in the past that we ought to uh, have Bible studies on the colics for the day, I think the proper prefaces would be a good thing also. They're among some of the oldest of the liturgical texts, and when it comes to festivals in the church year, both minor and major festivals, the proper prefaces really zero in on the theme for the day. And so the proper preface before we sing with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the great Sanctus, reads this way. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, in the communion of all your saints gathered into the one body of your Son. You have surrounded us with so great a cloud of witnesses that we, encouraged by their faith and strengthened by their fellowship, may run with perseverance the race that is set before us, and together with them receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. So, I don't need to say much more about this proper preface, Todd, but you see in the beauty of the prose now of the liturgy, you have a beautiful summary of what we are celebrating on this great day in the church year. How would you summarize this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? Let me just say a few things. The law must address any notion that the merits of the saints are their own works. They are not. The merits of the saints are the works of Christ. The law must address any theology of glory in this life that rejects persecution and suffering for the name of Jesus as if it can be avoided. But the unique gospel for the day, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ that covers all our sin and makes saints of every one of us. Suffering for the name of Jesus is the comforting testimony that we belong to him. We are in communion with Christ and he with us. Therefore, there is nothing to fear from this world. The hope of the resurrection to eternal life with Christ comforts, strengthens, and purifies us, even as he is pure, because we belong to him. 
Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. In hour two of Issues Etc., we're going to continue Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Two last installments of Paths to Lutheranism from Islam with Parisi Kamari, and then we'll talk about the path from Judaism with Suhar Sedlovsky. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois... You're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org.